breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. A lot going on as always, and thanks for joining me. This is the podcast where you're going to find a look into the world of Islam, the world of American Muslims, and also a look at reform, perhaps a look at the domestic political angles, national security, foreign policy, whatever else is on the agenda. Sometimes we'll look at some medical things. This week, though, a lot to cover on the radical Islamist uh, front, if you will. Another, call it an ISIS attack, radical Islamist attack in France this week with the beheading of a teacher. Yes, a beheading of a teacher with hardly any coverage, but we'll talk about it. The New York Times goes after its premier correspondent who unroofed and released troves, just thousands of documents related to ISIS, and now, because of a problem with a source regarding one of the interviews of the thousands she had done, they're going after her. Polling is showing the Saudi Arabia, Arabs, and others across the region in the Middle East are with upwards of sometimes 80% approval looking at wanting to normalize relations with Israel. What's up with that data? Is it real? And as we get close to election time, the Harris and Biden ticket seems to be oddly, bizarrely close to the Islamists. We'll look at that. What's happening in Iran? They executed a wrestler. And Turkey dispatches jihadists to fight in Azerbaijan. What's that? Ha- what, what is a NATO ally doing that for? A lot to talk about, as you can tell. All right. Details, gruesome details, as the Washington Post called it, emerge in beheading of a French teacher who did the crime of showing students cartoons about Muhammad. This story from a few days ago. French authorities detained nine people regarding beheading of a teacher had shown students caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad that obviously gets the Islamists, the the anti-blasphemy people all up in arms. The Friday attack this week, but nobody knew how angry the Islamists were. Obviously, we become a bit complacent, but the radicalism, the ideology continues to flow in the internet, continues to flow in social media and elsewhere as the Islamists are, as many of us in the anti-jihad and the reform world have been saying, that these guys aren't going away when they'll continue to come back, and they will come back. 47-year-old teacher Samuel Patey was beheaded in the area of Conflans saint Honoren, a commune northwest of Paris on last week. The suspect, who they believe did the heinous beheading was an 18-year-old Chechen refugee shot dead by the police as he tried to escape. There were demonstrations then soon thereafter the next day as they rally in Paris 
to support the teacher, to support education and support their secular system. And some of the same response from the communities in Paris started to come out as we saw after the Charlie Hebdo attacks. Remember, by the way, a few weeks ago, the trials happening of those supporters who were also being, uh, are now under trial for conviction, for aiding and supporting the Charlie Hebdo attackers from a few years back. And now they've detained nine people in connection with the brutal beheading of this teacher. Why were they upset? Why were the Islamists acting out? She showed pictures of the Prophet Muhammad, cartoons, if you will. And the 18-year-old Chechen refugee attacked him, cut his throat, tried to behead him. teacher had begun receiving death threats following a lesson on freedom of expression in which the caricatures were said to be shown. The lesson was set in the context of an ongoing trial over the 2015 killings at Charlie Hebdo. That's the newspaper that somewhere around 12, 13 people were, were assassinated, were slaughtered by the Islamists that attacked that magazine just because it showed a picture, a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad. Speaking at the teacher's school on Friday, President Emmanuel Macron called the decapitation an Islamist terrorist attack. Boy, you know, American politicians could take a little instruction from that, couldn't they? Immediately within a day, he called it an Islamist terrorist attack. Let's see if any of the American Islamic organizations would tolerate it being called an Islamist terrorist attack he said one of our compatriots was murdered today because he taught the freedom of expression the freedom to believe or not believe france's anti-terrorism prosecutor jean-francois ricard said a terror investigation has been opened and they've detained nine additional people including the suspect's parents grandfather and teenage brother Ricard told reporters that the suspect was living in Normandy on a 10-year residency and was not known to intelligence services. So he's not a known wolf. A lot of times we know these guys are known, but this kid was 18. Call him a kid, but he committed a decapitation. Horrific act of terrorism. During his standoff with the police, he had been armed with a knife and an airsoft gun, which fired plastic pellets. Claiming responsibility for the attack, he had a text and a picture of the victim were found on the suspect's phone. Now, obviously, all the Muslim leaders in France condemned the attack. Educational minister said everybody was touched by this. The imam of the mosque in Bordeaux said a civilization does not kill an innocent person. Barbarism does. I mean, fine, but are you going to take any ownership for the radicalization process? Your own president in France has talked about the separatism of political Islam that I talked to you here on this podcast a few weeks ago in reference to the trial of those that aided and abetted the, the Islamists that killed the Charlie Hebdo employees. Before showing the caricatures, the teacher had reportedly asked Muslim students to raise their hands, allowing them to leave the room if they wished. 
The caricatures had been published in Charlie Hebdo, The Guardian reported. Flowers appeared outside the high school this weekend, and demonstrations also appeared to support in droves the teacher, free speech, secularism. The French presidential palace said a national tribute will be held for the teacher at a later date. Now again, we can't dismiss this as a simple act of terrorism of one deranged person. As they try, those that aided and embedded, as they look at the system of separatism, we need to begin to take ownership as a Muslim community of the radicalization process, of the ideology that believes in Sharia, that controls speech, that believes in theocratic ideas, that certain things, be it the prophet's image, be it the uh, uh, whatever it may be, related to things that we hold dear in our faith or any faith, cannot be shown. The Islamists are trying to erase history also. They want to erase the teachings of what happened in 2015 to the employees of Charlie Hebdo. Same thing we're seeing here in 9-11. Remember the controversy over the museum and what could be or could not be associated with Al-Qaeda and how it was written and what the ideology was? Finally, the Islamist organizations won. For the most part, it still, I think, referenced some of the things that they weren't going to be able to remove from history. But the bottom line is, is it was watered down. Even after all that we've seen, it wasn't just about 9-11. We then went to Iraq and Afghanistan and we saw the difficulty. The fact that this, this there's no military solution. The fact that the solution to radical Islam comes through reform, from confronting the ideas of separatism, of Islamist state ideology, and the hate for Western secular liberal democracy. So, another attack this week, the war of ideologies between Western liberal society, democracy, and theocracies, from Iran to Wahhabism to whatever else it may be, continue unabated. And now this week also, a, a well-known reporter who covered ISIS, went to Syria many times, interviewed countless number of terrorists, Rukmini Kalamachi, now is under investigation by her own paper, and her own paper published a report about the lack of veracity of one of the individuals that she interviewed. And listen, I'm still gathering facts and looking at what was printed. I'm not even going to go into the details of exactly what was the problem with that interview. And yes, every reporter should be held accountable if they don't get corroborating interviews and, and evidence. But now you have to remember that there are forces at work here. Remember last year I had a podcast in which we talked about, we talked about the attempt of Arab governments, the attempt of Islamists in America and others to suppress all the documents that came out of Syria and Iraq regarding ISIS. These documents were, in, in one of the, the few really good things that's been done by the New York Times, published and put online. And there was an attempt initially, 
as you saw in a piece from The Atlantic that has a lot of Islamist sympathizing columnists. But it also has others that, that have been critical of Islamism and the ideologies. But yet, the movement, the Arabist movement, funded by Petro-Islam and America, tried to suppress the ISIS papers tried to suppress them from you ever seeing them and they are, the trove still exists if you if you google it and go to the the documents you will see and what's important about that is you start to get a flavor a deep deep dive into the ideologies that these ideologies are very similar to the wahhabist jurists to the jurists in Iran of the Khomeinis be it Sunni or Shia that the ideologies of ISIS are not these these uh, type of simply grotesque only horrific Halloween type characters, but they are actually products of Islamist theoc- theocracy. And that's the, 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 what you glean from the papers that were published. You glean that this is a movement that is a culmination of, of a movement of militant Wahhabism that wants to, militant, actually better than Wahhabism, militant Salafi jihadism. And what does that mean? For most of you that may not know, but Salafism is fundamentalist Islam, theocratic Islam, and jihadism is the militant attempt to to coercively, militarily put that in the place where Muslims are a majority. So Salafi jihadism produces Al-Qaeda, ISIS, and it is part of the Sunni militant strains, if you will. Probably the biggest threat for radicalization globally among Sunnis and Shias, Khomeinism, and its school of thought. But that school of thought was revealed and is present online for all those who want. I remember the NYPD had its 2007 report on radicalization and radicalization of Muslims in the West, 40 pages, and now that's been purged. Thanks to the Islamists, it was purged and removed. We have it, many of us have it, and obviously repost it when we can, but the New York Police Department, State of New York, removed it because it had too many complaints. Now, initially, there was one page added to say that any any attempts to correlate religiosity with radicalism is ill-served, etc. So you had this, I don't know, page 11 or something in which MPAC, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, had inserted a a, a correction, if you will. And we were upset about that at the time. Unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. And then years later, bringing all the other Islamists as political correctness took hold, as uh, President Trump took office and, the, and the, the shift on the left to radicalization with the far left working closely with the Islamists and you saw that it was then purged. So we'll follow up the story and what's happening with New York Times investigation, but God, pray that those documents are not removed, that the New York Times does not, again, eat one of its own, as we saw with Barry Weiss, as she also ended up having to leave the paper because she questioned the wokies as Ayan Herzi Ali calls them wokeism if you will those who are 
obsessed with the woke culture. Next, there is a study. And this study, by the way, this is not just some conservative study that I'm bringing you. This is from Zogby Polink, right? So we know Zogby's are, um, there's the Zogby, John Zogby, which is the pollster, and Jim Zogby runs the Arab Institute Apologist for Arab Movements, Islamists, etc. This is from John Zogby's company. But the interesting thing is, again, they're not in line, and, and Zogby polling initially for, for many years, election cycles, had been respected polling company. I don't know why they're not used as much lately, maybe because of the bad data that uh, came out of 16. I don't know. We'll see. Bottom line, though, is recent studies that they did about the polling of Arabs in Israel and their attitudes about it, the most amazing thing was that it quotes that nearly 80% of Saudis are in favor of normalization with Israel. And we're seeing a shift. And it tells you, before I get into the data, I want you to think about this. For those who say that reform is too hard, it's, it, you have to replace centuries of anti-Semitism, centuries of, of Sharia, supremacism, centuries of, of lack of critical thinking. <laughs> those problems are all very true. They exist and they are normative thinking right now. But to say that somehow with changes in the information that are put out, that you can't, especially now with social media, shift public opinion is foolhardy. And I think these polls are what we can learn from it, is that right now we are beginning to see that, as, as the poll says, Zogby Research Services says that 80% of Saudis are in favor of working towards normalizing ties with Israel within the next five years. And 71% even think it likely that other Arab states will normalize ties without a peace deal between Israel and the Palestinians. The study surveyed attitudes among Israel, Israelis, and Arabs from five different countries, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Palestine, and Jordan, from June 24th to July 5th, just a few months ago, over a month before the landmark peace deals between Israel, the UAE, and Bahrain were announced, which had resulted in the annexation of 30% of the West Bank. What is notable to the study is that the survey still showed that many Arabs were in favor of normalizing ties with Israel at a time steps were being taken to achieve peace with the Palestinians. So I think what's important here is that it shows you that things are shifting. The linkage, you saw the tape, if, you, if you're active on social media, you saw the tape in which John Kerry, as Secretary of State, was saying, oh, it is impossible, you cannot, it is complete he, I, I, idiocy, basically, he said, to think that you can ever, ever normalize relations with Arab countries, Arab governments, unless you reach an Israeli-Palestinian deal. That's a concept of linkage that was dogma, and it was blasphemy to say otherwise in the State Department. And now President Trump, by moving the embassy to Jerusalem, President Trump, by creating, via Secretary Pompeo, 
a foundation for, for normalization of not only diplomacy, but recognition of Israel, not only from the government, but from imams and others, is shifting. That is shifting public opinion. And it does so rather quickly. Now, some of that shift quickly is because of the media in the Middle East that is controlled by their governments. But again, it's not completely controlled. How did the Arab awakening happen? Through social media, be it Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, whatever it might be. The governments have some control, but not a lot. Not complete, I should say. They have a lot, but not complete. So the shift in public opinion, if done correctly, what do I mean by correctly? Well, as, as I can tell you, as the, as the kid of Syrian immigrants, our families can tell what's state propaganda and what's ideologically things that can have an impact. Now, the state's become pretty savvy at how to subliminally make changes, as we see with Chinese propaganda and others, and the Middle Eastern governments and dictatorships are no different. But, again, when it comes to Israel, when the imams are talking about the equality of Jews and Muslims and Christians, when the imams are talking about the need Islamically to recognize the state of Israel, and even quoting passages from the fifth chapter that recognize Israel, as one of the only states, if not the only state recognized in the Quran. As controversial as that might sound, the reality is there's a lot of Muslim thinkers that agree with that. And the imams and the emirates and elsewhere are beginning to say that from the mosques, which begins to shift public opinion. And the Islamists are now being cornered. Because if you take away, how do, you, how do Islamists rally their base. They rally it by creating enemies that are outside the house of Islam. So that's why anti-Semitism has such fertile soil. And the Arabists, who might be secular but are dictators, also create common enemies by finding other races in the Middle East, other ethnicities that are their enemies. So you see the Arab fascists were, were knee-deep in with the Nazis and others in World War II. And continued to be. That's why anti-Semitism has force multipliers between the Arabists and the Islamists. So anti-Semitic fervor runs in the 80-90% range, while Islamists are only 30-40%, but the Arabists are also 30-40%, so you do the math. But the bottom line is, is now these polls show that there is hope. There is hope that opinions can shift quickly. Now, we also know that there's no military solution to these ideas, so therefore reform will need to be incremental, but much more quickly than the Saudis had wanted us to believe, but incremental to where I believe there can be now paths towards reform that don't have to be necessarily through massive revolutions that we saw left huge vacuums and left a space for the Islamists to move in. But we'll see. How does that mean? In the reality, how does that translate into actual change if the governments are still in place that are tyrannies and dictatorships and monarchies and kleptocrats, kleptocracies, whatever else it might be, but they're not democracies. Some of them are freer than others, but we have to be true to our principles and help them get there. And this is what the Universal Declaration of Human Rights is about, and this is what a lot of these ideas are about I think it's important as we look as we get closer to the election to realize 
And as Free Beacon reported this week, Democratic vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris had significant ties to the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And in fact, Hussein Elush, one of the most rabid Islamists, publicly, verbally, through a lot of his commentary, had praise for Kamala Harris as she included his organization, the Council on American-Islamic Relations in L.A., in their interfaith work. President Biden also worked closely with Islamists as we saw him give, and I talked to you about this about a month ago, as he worked with Engage, E-M-G-A-G-E, a PAC of Islamists, which is basically the Muslim Brotherhood in the United States, the legacy groups that formed a PAC and he gave them complete lip service through a Q&A session that they then used as an ad because of how, how obsequious it was from Biden to them. He even quoted the Prophet Muhammad and in, in his hadith he even went on to say how he would fight Islamophobia, etc. Never once talked about the need for reform, never once acknowledged that perhaps there are secular Muslims that don't toe the Islamist line, and he continued to portray the fact that the Islamists that he was speaking to basically represent all Muslims, which could not be further from the truth. And his vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris, also had the same type of sentiment, as you can see from her history of working with CARE and its representatives. As Harris ran for the Senate in 2016, CARE's Political Action Committee donated $1,750 to boost her campaign. CARE PAC has also donated a prominent anti-Israel, anti-Semite, such as Representative Ilhan Omar. So, Harris also, in 2018, was one of several lawmakers who penned letters in support of CARE on its 24th anniversary. She said, please accept my gratitude and admiration for your tireless work to promote peace, justice, and mutual understanding. So the point is here is that when Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups are getting the allegiance of folks like Harris and Biden, it should tell you exactly what they're going to be doing and how they ignore the rest of the 80-90% of Muslims that don't toe the line of the Islamists. On other news this week, the Investigative Project on Terrorism reported on how Iran decided to execute a popular wrestler, Navid Afkari Sangari, a 27-year-old Iranian wrestler who along with his two brothers took part in anti-regime protests in 2018 and was executed on September 12 by the Islamic Republic of Iran. Navid's two brothers, Vahid and Habib, were sentenced to 54 and 27 years, as reported by Potkin Azarmer of the Investigative Project on Terrorism. Now, his execution got global condemnation, 
But in the end, he was still brutally tortured and executed. But when they start executing popular athletes, that has to mean that this regime is on life support. It has to. And Iran must, as Brendan Schwab said, must forfeit its right to be a part of the sports universal community. The International Olympic Committee, President Thomas Bach, pleaded with Iran to spare Afghari, but they did not. So, bottom line is, is when they start being afraid of athletes and their following and their presence and they start executing them, either their days are short or they will solidify into the North Korea of the Middle East. Now, I doubt it. If you know Iranians and you know the country and their propensity for uh, being outspoken and, and, and having demonstrations and revolutions, uh, I do not think they will go the way of prolonged, indefinite rule from the Khomeinis that eventually will be cut off. But the reason we got to this point is that the Iranian regime, the economy is cornered. The sanctions are continuing to have effect and they will have effect to strangulate the oppressors. To think that somehow if money flows into the regime, it'll go to the rest of Iranians, that is absurd. I do not believe, A, it is unethical and immoral to fund a regime that is violating massive human rights. Second, we know that sanctions work while avoiding sanctions and continuing economic normalization actually is the lifeblood of continued indefinite tyranny on the people of Iran, and they will use it to spread tyranny to Syria, as we saw with the genocide in Syria, tyranny to Hezbollah and fund the terrorist actions and continue to fuel terrorism throughout the region and threaten our allies. So the bottom line is is, uh, this is an important time. The regime is cornered, and they're starting to do things that should send signals that perhaps Perhaps times may change and the revolutions may come to fruition to actually marginalize and defeat this regime. We'll see. Last, I continue to make a plea that we need to face the fact that Turkey is not a legit member of NATO, continues to exert uh, influence, economic Money flow to our enemies, be it Qatar, be it Iran, be it uh, 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 any other of the players that are anti and un-American. And this week we saw no difference as reports come that Turkey's jihadists in Syria are now being given safe and free passage into Azerbaijan. Erdogan has repeatedly given lip service and propaganda support for Azerbaijan and as it tries to get influence in the Caucasus by aiding its ally. And Turkey uses the slogan, one nation, two states, for Turkey and Azerbaijan. And for any of you who know the history in the region, I'm sure you're aware that there's conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Turkey wants to eliminate the influence of Armenia 
as the investigative project on terrorism reported this week, historical rival of Turkey, and to exert pressure on Russia with the transport of Islamist militants in the context of the peculiar sort of odd Russian-Turkish relation, as they noted. Now, this is sort of the same playbook that the Russians had, right? They would allow Chechnyans to go in and, 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 and do whatever radicalism they did along with ISIS, and that legitimized Assad's stranglehold on its people. It was reported by Michael Weiss and others uh, for a number of years during the Syrian revolution. Turkey's doing the exact same playbook when it comes to Azerbaijan. Whatever conflict may be happening there. And I think, again, the French president again proves that he gets the rhetoric, but when it comes to actually doing something, they often fall short, don't they? Domestically or foreign. French President Macron said the deployment of Syrian fighters in Azerbaijan has set off alarm bells. We now have information which indicates that Syrian fighters from jihadist groups have transited through southeastern Turkey to reach the theater of operations in Azerbaijan. He told reporters on October 1st, it is a very serious new fact which changes the situation. So, for a NATO country, a red line has been crossed which is unacceptable, Macron said. I urge all NATO partners to face up to the behavior of a NATO member. Now, this is important because will the EU invoke sanctions on its own partners? American F-15s, F-16s are being used in areas against our allies. It's getting messy, folks. Again, they say, oh, you can't kick anybody out of NATO. Well, okay, dissolve NATO, reconstitute it without Turkey. Don't invite them to the reconstitution a day later. Bottom line is it's a complicated, long history there between Armenia and Azerbaijan, but When it comes to Erdogan, the Islamists will fight with their Islamists, whether it's in Syria, whether it's in Azerbaijan, whether it's in Qatar or against our greatest ally in the region, Israel. Turkey's done it for a long time, and Erdogan is getting more and more radicalized as he sees himself as the neo-caliph, the coming neo-Ottoman caliph. All right, folks, a lot to cover this week. We, 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 we hit all the bases, and if you're getting election fatigue, tell your friends about this podcast, Reform This. Find me on social media, Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I Jasser, J-A-S-S-E-R, or find me on Twitter at Reform This Radio. It's always an honor to share some time with you. We'll talk to you again next week. God bless and stay safe. Zudi Jasser and Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.